not different. If you would begin in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. This morning, you have come to the place where Jesus has appointed you. Our God is a sovereign God. We are here, gathered together in this mountain, if you will, because this is the place where God has fought us. Even as Jesus gathered these eleven disciples. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And even this morning, some have come to worship Jesus Christ and some have come to doubt. Perhaps you doubt that Christ cannot keep you and preserve you. Perhaps you doubt that he is able to meet your need. Perhaps even to provide for you your, your monies, for you to remain in school. Doubt that he can lead you. And so some have come to worship, some have come to doubt. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. It is this final phrase that I should like for us to turn our attentions toward this morning. This promise from Jesus Christ, this promise from the one in whom all power dwells. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. So that no matter what our trouble or our trial or our struggle, Jesus Christ has promised to be with us always, even unto the end of the world. My journey in Jesus Christ began when I was 15. I was, as is often the case, one that age quite rebellious. My father was a pharmacist and a lay minister, my mother a very godly lady. My brother and sister, Christians, but I was not. I sought out as my friends agnostics and atheists. Those who did not believe in God, those who did not believe in God's power. It was their ideas I cherished, their ideas I sparked forth. There came a day in my home when my mother was away for a period of time, visiting my aunt. And I became quite bored. And it is a dangerous thing for a 15-year-old to become bored. I wandered into my father's study and I saw there upon his desk a series of pamphlets and I knew that there was a story at the beginning and a sermon at the end and I thought, I will read the story for its entertainment but I will leave the sermon for those who are in need of it. That is often our way, is it not? We, we listen to stories and we say, someone else needs the sermon. So I began to read. And I saw there for the very first time these words, the finished work of Christ. And I saw that salvation was not something I could earn, it was not something I deserved, it, it was not something I could inherit from my parents. I saw that it was God's free and holy gift to me. And as the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart, I, I knelt there and I asked the Lord Jesus Christ to come into my heart. I went to my sister Amelia. I told her what had occurred. She showed me in her day book, her diary, how that each day's entry for the final month had ended with this, Lord, save my brother, Hudson. And so God had answered her prayer. 
I asked her not to write to mother. I would not write to her telling her of this news. This news should be shared face to face. And so a fortnight passed. The carriage arrived. She began to descend. I rushed out to meet her. Mother, you shall never guess what has happened to me. You have become a Christian. I must confess to you, I became somewhat upset with my sister Amelia. Amelia has told you. No. And then my mother began to relate to me her story. How that she was not beset by the myriad of duties that wives and mothers are encumbered by in their homes. Oftentimes duties that pull them away from their time with Jesus Christ and study, prayer. How that she was away and had time for fellowship with God. How that one afternoon she was kneeling in prayer there in her room. How that the Spirit of God filled her heart as if an audible voice had spoken with the peace that her prayer for her son had been answered. And it was indeed the very same hour, the very same day, that I had come to the Lord Jesus Christ. And now that I was a Christian, I began to prepare for some service. In those days, the field of China had just opened up to medical missions. I thought, I will prepare to become a doctor already. I had been helping my father in the pharmacy. I had great pharmacological knowledge. And so I began to prepare to study to become a doctor. The process was somewhat different than it is today. I began working first as an apprentice and a pharmacist for a near kinsman of mine, Dr. Hardy, in the village of Hull. It was a, a mill village, and I thought I will see such injuries there as I will see in China, a great number of them. I will learn to treat them from Dr. Hardy, and then I will go on to medical school. We began working there, and Dr. Hardy was a wonderful fellow and a very sweet Christian, but he was, he was quite forgetful, most often of my wages. He would sometimes forget to pay me for a week or two or three or sometimes five or six. I was living very frugally at the time. I, I thought I will learn to live rough. I do not know what the occasion will be in China. And so I was renting a very small flat from a widow lady who had six children. And I was paying her such monies as I could afford. But now my rent was some months in arrears and I had to pay it. It had been six weeks since I had been paid. I had no money and I was working late on a Saturday evening, not because I was diligent, but so that I hoped my landlady would go to bed and I would not have to face her because I could not pay her one more day. I was working over a concoction of medicines, over a burner. Dr. Hardy came in. A Taylor? Yes, sir. Taylor, do I not owe you some money? Uh, yes, sir, some six weeks' wages. Oh, Taylor, how much is that? And I told him, Taylor, I do not have that much cash about me. I will give you a check for it. You may take it to the bank first thing Monday morning. I will even pay you to go. At that moment, the medicine boiled over even as my own heart boiled over within me. I did not need the money Monday morning. I needed it now. It was owed to me. With all of the zeal of a very young Christian, I rushed out into the night air to allow the medicine and myself to cool down. And I believe with all my heart that God had failed me. God, do you not understand? I owe the money. It is a debt. It must be paid. God! God, can you not care for me? And I believe with all my heart that God had not kept his promise to me. I returned and began the final preparations on the medicine with a heavy heart. 
There was a knock at the door and some muffled voices I heard. Dr. Hardy's laughter and he came back in. He began to tell me a story so strange, so so odd that I, I forgot my own difficulties. He told, the, told me how that the most wealthy man in our village, a man with many houses and lands, a man with fine carriages and horses, a man with many servants, had come from his home, walking, late in the evening on a Saturday to pay his account in cash. How strange, I thought. How odd, a man who could be trusted to pay his account at any time. And then Dr. Hardy asked me again how much it was that he owed me, and I told him, and it was very nearly to the penny the man had paid. And I saw that God had not failed me, that he had kept his promise, that I had been impatient. It is very difficult for us to wait on the Lord, is it not? From there I left for medical school. In those days, in your first year of medical college, you worked on the bodies of a cadaver, a, a dead body. And I can assure you, it was much safer for us to practice medicine on one already dead than upon the living. These were the bodies of fever victims, those who had died of the most heinous sexual diseases, diseases of opium, diseases of alcohol. Their bodies were a cornucopia of disease for us to learn. In this particular instance, my cadaver was the body of a fever victim, a very virulent fever, and our our instructor had told us that if we had any cut or scratch upon our hands or our face, we were not to work. I had pricked my thumb the night before, sewing there some fabric together, and I, I am much better at stitches in a body than I, I am in cloth. It was a pinprick, that was all. I, I thought nothing of it. I, I began to work. It was not long before I felt quite faint. I lost consciousness. I passed out there upon the floor. My, my instructor splashed some water on my face. Taylor, what are your symptoms? He said to me. I, I felt quite faint. I, I was dizzy. My equilibrium was off. And my mouth was quite dry. I was feverish. I shall never forget his words. Taylor, he said. Taylor, make your life right with God and man and make your way home. For surely you shall die. I was not yet 21 years of age, and already my death sentence had been pronounced. My first thought was that I would not see China now, not be able to serve the Lord any longer. He had told me to take a carriage to my home. Such an expense was so far beyond my means as a student, as, as the sun is from the earth. I began to walk, and I passed out many times upon the way. Finally, I reached my flat. I was sharing with my cousin, who was preparing to become a barrister, a lawyer. I passed out there upon the steps, and the charwoman, the cleaning lady, found me. She helped me up the stairs, and I sought to share Jesus Christ with her. I thought, Lord, give me one more soul before I go out into eternity. I passed out again when we reached my room. When I awoke, I was staring into the face of a stranger. My uncle had come to visit, had seen my condition, had sent for his own personal physician. He left monies for my upkeep, for better food, blankets, medicine for me, someone to come and to check on me. 
It was indeed a struggle for life and death, but six weeks later I, I walked back into medical school. Three of my fellow students had died of the very same fever which God had spared me. And I saw again God's promise that he who began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Finally, the day came for me to leave for China. My mother came to see me off. We sat in the tiny cabin five feet by seven that was to be my home for six months. For so it was a six-month voyage in those days from England to China. And we prayed together and we laughed together and we sang together and we... And we wept together. And she walked down the gangplank and off into the wharf. And I, I waved at her until she disappeared in the distance. And I thought, I will never see England again. I will never see my mother again this side of heaven. We faced storms, in which our ship was nearly wrecked. We faced the doldrums there in the equator. There was no wind. And we prayed and God sent the wind and it did not fail us until we reached China. When we arrived in China, it was a land in turmoil, a land in which one million souls a month went out into eternity without Jesus Christ, a land in which a civil war, which had begun with Christians, but now had become a political struggle. It had been claimed by the ungodly for power, not for Christ. I arrived with all of the zeal and none of the knowledge of a very young missionary. I arrived in a country in which I knew no one, a country in which I did not speak the language, I knew no Chinese. I had a letter of introduction, three of them in fact, two of the men had already left the field and the third, the link was so tenuous I thought, well he will cast me out upon my ear. He took me in, found me a teacher and a place to stay. In those days, we were kept in a European compound and you could not go to where the actual Chinese people were without special permission because of the, the rebellion. Once we had received permission to go into the city, we were followed about by the ragtag, by the rabble, by those addicted to opium, to wine. We would give them books, they would take them and sell them so that they could purchase more opium, more wine. They did not care about Jesus Christ. Once, while we were there in the city, dressed in our long black European clothing, we, we wore clerical robes that, that went down here nearly to our ankles. We were dressed all in black. They called us Hekwati, black devils. Indeed, for me, it was somewhat worse. You see, the Chinese people believe that people who have red hair are possessed of the devil. Perhaps they are not wrong. I do not know. So here was I, trying to share Jesus Christ, dressed all in black, with red hair, speaking to a people whose language I did not know, trying to communicate Jesus Christ, and these people looked at me and thought I was possessed of the devil. Once, while we were there in the city, the imperial forces came, dragging five of the rebels by their queues, their, their ponytails. The Chinese believe that the gods steal away boy children and so as children they allow their boys to grow long ponytails. They shave their heads, grow them down to the middle of their back. You see, they think that gods can be fooled. Quite silly. Except that we act the same way. We try to fool our God. 
but the way we act, the way we dress, the words we speak, we are no different. We put on a face. These rebels were being dragged by their cues. One of them escaped and he threw himself around my legs. Save me! I could not save him. I couldn't even tell him how Jesus Christ could save him. Before our eyes, before our eyes they were beheaded. Their blood spurted upon our clothing. And I realized that I had come with my English pride and my Western ways. Not to share Jesus Christ, I had come. Not to tell them about Jesus Christ, but to tell them about queen and country. I had not come to make them like Christ, I had come to make them like me. I had come into a culture far older than my own, a culture with its own language, its own music, its own art. Wearing my English clothing, with my English language. I had come to lift up myself, not Christ. I had come thinking if they were not like me, they could not know him. And so I laid aside my English clothing and I began to dress as you see me now. I wear this today so that you may see how we dress on the field. When I am at home I, I dress as an Englishman. But I was, began to wear shoes not, not quite wide enough for English feet and pants not quite long enough to be comfortable on English legs. A tunic, the hat of a teacher I, uh, I shaved my head and I grew a long queue and I dyed my hair black and my eyebrows and I shaved my beard to the Mandarin style. I even shaved my eyebrows, give my eyes a more oriental appearance and I took a stain and I stained my skin and I ate only their food and I spoke only their language. And we began to reach the Chinese people. But it was not without some difficulty, you see, the English, the Europeans, the Dutch and the Germans who had come over also as missionaries said, you, you, you have gone too far, Taylor. You don't want to become like them. And they slammed their doors in my face and they refused to speak to me any longer. These, these were friends. I, I had prayed with them. I had, I had studied the scripture with, with them. I had even delivered their children. They would turn away from me. They would shun me in the street. I was thousands of miles away from my home and the people who had been my friends turned their backs upon me and I felt very alone.
But I was not alone. For every day, more and more, I saw that Jesus had promised that he would never leave me nor forsake me. We began to have a ministry with the Chinese people that we had never had before. Now, not the opium addicts and the drunkards, but now doctors and, and lawyers and merchants. The educated people began to come to our Bible studies. It was not without some sorrow. I remember once a former priest of Buddha came to me and he said, Dr. Taylor, how long have you known about Jesus Christ? I said, all my life. Dr. Taylor, do you hate us? I said, no, no, I do not hate you. But Dr. Taylor, how long has your country known about Jesus Christ? I told him, many hundreds of years. Dr. Taylor, does your country, England, hate us? I, no, no, we do not hate you. He said, Dr. Taylor, if you do not hate us, if your country does not hate us, then why did you not tell us about Jesus Christ before? Did you wish for all of the Chinese people to die and to go to this place called hell without Jesus Christ? You hate us so much, you wish for us to go to hell, and so you did not tell us? I had no answer for him. I was reminded of a time we were making our way up the river on a mail boat. It was a large canoe, approximately as wide as this pulpit here. A man fell overboard in another canoe could not swim and began to drown. I cried out to some fishermen, save him. Maybin, maybin, they cried. It is not convenient. I offered to pay the money. How much, they said. By the time we negotiated for this man's life, he had drowned. They, they found his body in seconds. But I thought of all those who will die because maybin, it is not convenient for us to tell them about Jesus Christ. God did bless and we began to grow. We saw more and more Christians come. I met my wife. I, I do not often share this story, but as you are perhaps in the process of meeting your mate, I will share it with you. My wife was under the protection of Miss Aldersley. Miss Aldersley, I can only describe to you as a she-dragon. She was a wizened old woman who had been, I believe, from the day of her birth, Miss Aldersley. Had always been Miss Aldersley, and I believe unless a man was blind and deaf and completely stupid, she would always be Miss Aldersley. <laughs> and she saw me, and she said, who are you? And I said, I am no one. And she said, then you are not good enough to court Mariah, and perhaps I was not, but I was persistent. And I wrote to England, and it was a very long time for the letter to reach England to her legal guardians, for them to see after my family, for them to give their permission that should Mariah be so inclined, we could begin to court, and should she also say yes, we could be married. While we were courting, we were at some other missionaries' homes who had also adopted Chinese clothing. Mariah had grown up in China. Her parents had been missionaries. They were with the Lord, and she had grown up wearing Chinese clothing, and she speaks the language far better than I. But we were, we were at a game around a table, and in this game, you, you hold hands under the table and signal to your partner. Well, I, I was seeking out Mariah's hand, and she was seeking mine, but she found the hand of an older missionary. And as she began to press his hand, she realized that it was a case of mistaken identity. And 
he realized that she was seeking my hand and he was quite full of fun and he would not let her hand go. And she was pulling and Mariah becomes quite embarrassed easily and she began to turn red about here and it began to spread over her face as she was embarrassed and began to blush. And she pulled even harder and finally as she pulled her hardest this missionary let go and she fell out of her chair over backwards. <laughs> But much to Miss Aldersley's dismay, we were married. And the Lord blessed our marriage. He began to open great doors for us, a family. Not long after we were married, Dr. Parker, another doctor, who had a private practice, he would charge those who were addicted to opium for a cure and then with that money run a free clinic. His wife had taken quite ill and he said perhaps a vacation, a holiday would, would be good for her and so he asked if Mariah and I would take the clinic for a month while they went away. He left monies for provision and we took the clinic, but in a fortnight he wrote us saying that his wife was not merely ill, that she was dying. He was going to return to England so that she could be buried at home. But he sent no more money and we had only money for a month and now he was going to be gone for perhaps a year and a half. We began to pray that the Lord would provide. News got out that the money was nearly gone and the people began to wonder, will Hudson Taylor's God provide for him? Will this English God, as they saw him, provide? We wrote in Chinese over the door of the clinic, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. But I was not certain that he would do so. And each day the money grew less and less and each day the rice bowl grew lower and lower. We were feeding hundreds. We were passing out medicines to hundreds. Finally, at the end of the month, the cook came to me and he said, Dr. Taylor, this is the last bowl of rice. Then surely the Lord's provision is near. Words easily spoken, but difficult sometimes to believe. And the letter came. A letter from England, a letter from an old friend who had sent us 50 pounds cash. Uh, the cash is their denomination there. It was a princely sum for us with the promise of more to come each month. He had come into an inheritance. Sum. But you see, it was a letter from England. It was a letter sent five months before we had even begun to pray. And so it is that even when we do not know how to pray, the Holy Spirit cries out for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. This is the power of our God. This is His ability to meet our need. This is His promise to be with us always, even until the end of the world. Life has not been without its difficulties. We, after a number of years, returned to England and about a week out from the shore I fell against the side of the ship and I bruised my spine. I was a doctor, I, I know what was going to occur and 
By the time we reached shore, I had lost the feeling in the use of my feet. I could not walk. By the time we reached my sister Amelia's home, where we were to reside during our stay in England, I could not walk. I had lost the feeling of my legs and into my chest. I was confined completely to, to bed. I, I could not feed myself. And I asked that great question which perhaps you have asked God and will ask God over and over again. I said, why? Why? Why here? Why now? There is much work to do. There is translation work to do. There are other candidates to interview. Why, Lord? Why have you laid me low now? We often ask God why. And when his answer comes back to us, because I wish for you to be still and know that I am God. It is very hard for us to accept. There came a knock at the door. Dr. Taylor, may I interview for you? Dr. Taylor, may I write letters for you? Dr. Taylor, Dr. Taylor, Dr. Taylor, Dr. Taylor. But I was only one. God brought dozens upon dozens. We were able to translate the Bible into Chinese. We began the work that is now called the China Inland Mission. We began to trust the Lord in a way we had never trusted him before. Because God did a great work that I was not physically capable of doing. This is the power of our God. This is his ability. This one in whom all power dwells. In heaven and in earth. Has promised to be with us. We saw the Lord provide time after time after time. And when we began to leave the field, for the field again, we had to purchase a ship to carry all of the missionaries that were with us. And God provided the ship and the missionaries. And we arrived in China and God began to do such a great work as never before he had done. He opened up every province of China. Oh, I am so weak. My faith is so small. We had prayed for God to provide for us a house. And so he, he gave us a house to house all of us. It was a great rabbit warren of a place. When we first purchased it, there were leases by the Chinese, and so we could not get them out, and that was fortunate for us. You see, we, we taught our missionaries their Bible stories and their Chinese there with Chinese people living in the home, and they were forced to hear the gospel every day. Well, there were times I felt quite sorry for myself once I woke up in the morning. Chinese homes are built to shed rain, but they do not shed snow very well in the when I awoke, there was a blanket of snow on my blanket, and I was feeling sorry for myself, so I, I took my finger and wrote my initials in the snow, thinking, how I am suffering for you, God. I tell you this so that you can know that I am no different than you. I have weaknesses, and I have faults and failures. But I have a great God. 
once we were making our way to open a new medical facility and I had entrusted everything we owned and all of our medicines and everything for the hospital to a servant of mine. He was going on ahead. I did not know that he was addicted to opium and he had taken everything, everything that we owned and sold it for opium. All of the medicines our entire hospital. And there were times when he did that, that in my flesh I thought, I could kill you. And then God began to convict me about these possessions were worth more to me than this man's soul. While I was searching for him, I, I, I had no money and I could not stay in a hotel lodgings and I was forced to sleep out in the open I found the temple of Buddha a place to sleep and I slept there upon the steps and the guide who had come to help me was also an opium addict and he he tried to rob me and I, I thought if I go to sleep he will perhaps slit my throat or kill me he was not strong enough because of the opium to overpower me but he he could do me great harm if I slept and so I I thought well I will stay awake and he left me and got two other opium addicts to come and I would try to stay awake and I would doze off and, and finally I, I found the ultimate weapon to defeat them and to drive them away. I began to sing. And I am a much better doctor than I am a singer and, and they could not stand my voice and they left. But when we learned what had happened to all our belongings and I went through that time of anger. I finally said, God, forgive me and I will forgive this servant. When I saw him some time later, and I held out an open hand to him and not a fist, he came to Jesus Christ. And God provided the money is completely unknown to us for new medicines and a new hospital and new belongings. There have been times when I have struggled. When God took my daughter Grace, I, I did not understand why God could take such a beautiful child. And these hands that had saved so many lives could not save hers. My wife was ill at the time and so I I dressed my daughter in her shroud and I, I made her coffin and I dug her grave and I put her body in it. And three of my children are buried in China. And after the death of my infant son, God also took Moriah. 
I know that I will see them all again, but during those times, you do ask God, why? And you are never alone. For his thoughts of us are more in number than the sands of the sea. If we say, I will take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall his hand lead us and his right hand shall guide us. If we say, surely the night shall cover me, even the night shall be light about us. He knows our down sitting and our uprising. He knows the words before they leave our lips. If we say, I will make my bed in hell, behold, he is there. For our God will never leave us. He will never forsake us. Let us hold his promises to our hearts. I will tell you one final story and then I, I will be silent this morning. God had, after a number of years, led another wonderful Christian wife to me. And we had begun ministering together. We were in a compound there where our missionaries would gather and we could train them to go out into the other provinces. And there had been a massacre and ten missionaries north of us had been killed. There was some resentment against England because of trade. And some other missionaries came into our city, Yangchao, and they were dressed in the European clothing. When they left, those who had been against us spread the rumor that these missionaries had stolen children away. There were always children missing. They had been sold into slavery, sold into prostitution, sold to purchase opium, sold to pay debts. But they had spread the rumor that these missionaries had eaten these children. A very heinous thing. Abhorrent to all humanity. These people did not know English ways. They did not know and they believed that these things were true. And these missionaries had left and we had remained and they began to riot outside our doors. One day they broke through into our compound and they set ho our home on fire. We escaped out of the second story. We, many were injured, leaping to safety below. Another missionary, myself, we made our way to the Chinese magistrate and we asked him to help us. He sent the Chinese constables and the writers quelled that in a matter of weeks they saw that we loved them, that we, we cared for them, that we loved our own children and their children, that we would never do such a thing. And God did a great work, but not before the news reached the British consulate and they sent the Royal Navy and the Royal Marines. I had not asked them to come. They said they came to protect us, but they came for themselves. They came to gain greater concessions in tea and in soup and rice. But the news reached England 
And the headlines read, Hudson Taylor converts the Chinese at gunpoint. Hudson Taylor has Royal Navy at his beck and call. And the people who have been supporting us said, well, he does not need our support, he has the government. Even though it was not the case. And we had now well over 100 mouths to feed. And our support failed 10,000 pounds. Nearly every pound, every shilling stopped coming. And there was no time to write letters, no time to return to England. It is one thing to trust the Lord for yourself and for your family. It is another matter altogether to trust the Lord for over 100. And my faith failed me. I did not see how God could provide for all of us. And another letter came. Dr. Taylor, I, I'm writing to you so that you may know that there is one in England who prays for you and who cares for you, who thinks of you often. But even if there were not one in all this earth, there is one in heaven whose thoughts of you are more in number than the sands of the sea. There is one in heaven who has promised never to leave you nor forsake you, there is one upon whom you may cast all your cares. This one, Jesus Christ. And enclosed was a bank draft for £1,000. And this gentleman asked for the names of all of our missionaries. And without any correspondence from me as to the amount, he sent to us in that same year 9,000 more pounds, 10,000 pounds. Exact amount. Our support had dropped. And for one year he supported us completely. And the letter was signed, Your humble servant in Jesus Christ, George Mueller. My young friends, if you could begin now to learn the power of our God. If you could see and know that when you cry out to him, he hears you. That in the darkest moments of your life, he is our eternal light. That when you feel most alone in this world, he is with you. And when you hurt, he hurts. That when you fail, he forgives. That even when we are not faithful, he is faithful still. Because he has promised 
Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. When I was recovering from my paralysis, I was walking on the beach in Brighton. And I was meditating on this passage of scripture. It is called my spiritual secret. I, I share it freely with you in John chapter 7 and verse 37. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And I realized that although I was a Christian and I had the Holy Spirit dwelling within me, I had never truly abided, trusted, rested in him. Always I had thought with some modicum of my own strength. And I saw that his strength is made perfect in my weakness. I saw that I had only dabbled, I had only sipped, I had only lapped. But I had never truly trusted in this great power. would say to you this morning remember these words hold them to your heart that the one in whom all power dwells has promised to be with us always even to the end of the world I would ask please Mr. Bookman if you would come if you would close us as you would see fit if you would be so kind as to bow your heads, please, and, and I would take it so very kindly.